It's good to be good to be here this morning. Appreciate the presence of everyone. It's just it's an encouraging and exciting for me to to see all the faces, some new faces that I, uh, I'm not familiar with, some some that I'm very familiar with, but each and every one that's here just really uh, encouraging to me, and I appreciate it a great deal. It's a privilege to be part of the chorus, isn't it? Uh, to be part of this group singing together. Uh, singing these songs of praise and encouragement, that's, that's uplifting. That's exciting to me as well. I've always liked the singing. And when I was a, when I was a child, it's something that we all can do. We're, we're very active in our singing. and sing out and sing strong. And uh, that's, that's just a great privilege, isn't it, to be able to be a part of that. And uh, God's designed it that way. He's designed it that way for a purpose. And again, it's just a, a privilege to be a part of that. Well, everybody's trying to figure out how to live a good life. How, how do you live the good life? And there are lots of different answers given to that. Some people think, you know, make as much money as you can, and that's how to live the good life. Just accumulate uh, as much money as possible, as, as big a house as possible in the right neighborhood, and wear the designer clothes that you want and drive the high-end car that you like. Just that's, that's got to be the good life. Have maybe a summer home uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the mountains somewhere and a winter home down at the beach. And just that, That's got to be the good life. Other people might think, look, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about uh, all the things that the world has to give. Just give me my family. Now, that's the good life. Got my wife and, and my children, and we're together, and we see each other, and spend a lot of time. That, that'd be the good life for me. And maybe somebody else would say, I, I just want to live a simple, quiet life. I don't have to have a lot of things. I don't have to be around a lot of people. Just give me a few friends and a simple life. And to me, that would be the good life. We're all trying to figure out how to live the good life. Well, God is our creator. And God wants us to live the good life. He tells us how to live the good life. And we're going to look at a particular passage this morning that I hope gives us some insight into that. It's from the 34th Psalm, and we're going to look especially at verses 11 and 12. But before we get to that, we're just going to survey the psalm a little bit. It's a psalm of David. It's written when David is fleeing from Saul. You know, had to flee for his, his life. Saul is, is trying to kill him. He goes over into the Philistine territory for a while. He finds some refuge there. But the, the Philistines in the city of Gath, they tell Achish the king, now this, this is David. This is the one that they've celebrated as, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And so they... they uh, suggests that they ought to do something about David. It's on that occasion that David kind of pretends to be insane. He sort of claws at the doors and lets his spittle run down on his beard. And, and uh, Achish says, I've got enough crazy people to deal with as it is. And David flees. But during the course of all that, as we'll see, David says, or it says of David, that he was greatly afraid. And so this psalm comes out of that experience some really very powerful statements in this psalm. Now knowing the background, look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. 
They look to him and were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Then look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. Cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. You'll remember that is applied to Christ in John 19. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And the last verse, or the last part of the last verse, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so here's David in, in trouble. He's, he's in a difficult time of his life. Saul is in pursuit. His life is in danger. And he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord rescues him. In this passage, we find that the Lord, verse 4, answers. Verse 4, he delivers. Verse 6, the Lord hears. Verse 6, he saves. He rescues in verse 7. His ears are open to his people in verse 15. Verse 17, he hears. Verse 17, he delivers. Verse 18, he is near. Verse 19, he delivers. He keeps or guards or protects in verse 20. and verse 22, he redeems. In the course of all this, David invites everyone to experience the blessings of the Lord. The righteous enjoy the blessings of the Lord. The, the Lord hears the cry of the righteous. He delivers them. He rescues them. His ears are open to their appeal. And so he invites all people, all of us, to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good there in verse 8. And he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous in verse 15. There's a couple of blessings in this passage that are especially impressive. Look at verse 4, uh, Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Wow. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like to have a God like that on your side? He delivers me from all of my fears. What, what are you afraid of? <laughs> now, we, we, could, we could be the tough guy. I'm not afraid of anything. Most of us are afraid of something. Well, this passage says the Lord delivers us from all our fears. That's, that's a great blessing, isn't it? Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I think about the king is out with his army and they're, they're, they're fighting the other army. Maybe now, now it's nighttime and the armies are settling down and maybe the king is in the center of the camp and all the soldiers are encamped around the king to protect him. The Lord encamps around those who fear Him for their protection. Wouldn't you like to have the Lord camping around you, surrounding you, and there you are sort of in the middle of the camp in the center of His protection? Well, we can be. And then look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, you know, he doesn't say that the righteous will never be afflicted. They'll never endure any hardship. There's not going to be difficult circumstances in their lives. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
Again, notice that. That's a, that's a rather inclusive term, isn't it? He, the Lord delivers, them out of, delivers him out of them all. And so these are great blessings, aren't they? But the blessings are not automatic. They come to those who fear God. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He rescues them. And so, and so not everybody enjoys this kind of relationship with God. It, it's given to those who fear God and who turn to Him for, for help. Verse 10 the young lions do not lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And then these blessings come to the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Verse 15. Now verse 11, David says, Come, you children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So here's the invitation. You, you come and listen. I want to teach you. I want to teach you how to fear the Lord so that you can receive all these blessings that I've talked about here in this passage. They're great blessings, aren't they? The Lord's going to deliver us from our fear. He's going to encamp around us. He's going to deliver us out of the affliction. Come, come listen to me. I want to teach you how to fear the Lord so that you can receive these blessings. So here's what he says. These things uh, in this particular section... Come, you children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life, loves length of days, that he may see good? That's just another way of saying, who is the man who enjoys the good life? <laughs> you see, he, he has pleasure in life. He desires life. Life is a good thing. <laughs> he delights in it. He's pleased with life. It's a good life for him. He loves days. He loves the days as they go by, day after day after day. Boy, he enjoys, he enjoys his life. He enjoys his life from day to day. And he sees good. Again, life is a good thing to him. Now, David's had a lot of problems. He's had to flee from Saul. But he still sees life as a good thing. He enjoys it. He delights in it because of his relationship with God. He fears the Lord. And here are some specific things that we can do to live the good life. You want to live the good life? Here's what you can do. First of all, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. And so David is telling us, take care of what you say. Take care of your speech. Guard it. Keep it. Watch over your tongue. Don't speak evil. He especially mentions deceit. Don't, don't tell lies. Don't say what is false or misleading. Tell the truth. You know, people think lying is an especially pernicious act. Nobody respects a liar. Even people in the world don't appreciate a liar. And so if you want to live a good life, be a truthful person. Be a truth teller. Watch what you say. How many of us get ourselves in trouble because we say something without thinking about it? We lash out in anger. Or we get aggravated. We say things that we shouldn't have said. Later on we regret it. Or we say something that hurts somebody, somebody's feelings because we didn't think about what we were saying long enough. How many times do our words get us into trouble? How many times do our words bring hardship on us? How many times do our words make life difficult for us because of what we say and how we say it? It's not uncommon at all, is it? And sometimes the consequences of that are severe, sometimes even violent. 
And so we say something we shouldn't have said, and you know, we suffer the consequences. Our life gets hard because we are not keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. Many are the warnings about the tongue in the Bible. Jesus warns about speaking in anger and saying things that we shouldn't say and, and insulting others. You might remember Matthew chapter 5. He says in verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the court, before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus warns us, don't, <laughs> don't speak in anger. Don't get mad and say things and call people names that, that you shouldn't. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 20, he warns against false witness and slander. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33, uh, 32 and 33, he says that the good man out of the good treasure of his heart speaks good things. The evil man after the evil treasure in his heart speaks evil things. And he tells us that will be held accountable for every careless word, that is, every useless, unproductive, to no profit word, will be held accountable for that. Numerous warnings in the epistles about the use of language, how we use our tongue and what we say. Colossians chapter 3 is a good case in point. He says in verse 8, Put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've laid aside the old man and his doings. James speaks at length about the problems of the tongue and uh, has a rather vivid description of them. Says it's a small member of the body but capable of inflicting great damage. He calls it a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It defiles the whole body, he says. Your little tongue can get your whole life <laughs> in trouble if you're not careful. It says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many wives, husbands, children are beaten down by words? Right, just think about that. How many wives just beaten down by what? By words. How many husbands just beaten down? Children beaten down by words. How many friendships broken? How many reputations destroyed? How many relationships ruined? How many lives lost because of what somebody said? It's interesting to me that this is a wonderful gift that God has given us. It's unique, isn't it? Our, our ability to speak surpasses any, any form of communication you find in the animal kingdom. Now, animals can, can communicate, but like somebody observed one time, the very, the very height of the ability to communicate that we find in animals is the very lowest level among human beings. And we can use it for so much good. Encourage each other. We can sing and pray and preach and teach the gospel. And it's just so many good things. And yet often we choose to use it for evil. Keep your tongue from evil. The scriptures condemn abusive speech and morally corrupt or rotten speech, silly talk, coarse jesting, slander, lying, profane speech, 
obscene speech, taking the Lord's name in vain, so, so many bad things. Just, just determine, I'm going to use the ability God gave me to speak for good, to build people up, to be encouraging, to be positive in people's lives. And so that's, that's one way to live a good life. Watch what you say. If you're not careful, you're going to get in trouble, and your life's not going to be the good life anymore. He also says, depart from evil and do, do good. Pretty general statement, is it? Don't, 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 don't do evil. Do, do right. Depart from evil and do good. Reminded me of the statement made in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Cease to do evil. Start doing good. Very, very simple. And so stop doing evil. Start doing good. Again, very general statement. Turn away from evil or depart from evil. Now, the book of Proverbs came to mind. It sort of uh, describes a, a few scenarios in which it would be a good idea to depart from evil. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a great, graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive like Sheol, even whole as they who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We'll have one purse. Hey, come, come with us. There are going to be some people out here, and we're going to... You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rob them. We're going to take what they've got. And we're gonna, we'll, we'll share it. We'll put it in one big pot. And we'll distribute it among them. Come on, come, come with us. Solomon's advice is, my son, if sinners entice you, turn away. Turn away from evil. Well, you know how that works when you're in school or at work or in the neighborhood. Come on, come with us. We're doing this. Why don't you come with us? Let's, let's do it together. If sinners entice you, Turn away. Here's another scenario from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 7 and beginning in verse 6. I, 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 at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the, the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in the darkness... Behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed like a harlot, and cunning of heart. She's boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She's now in the streets, now in the squares, and looks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. With a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I've paid my vows. Therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. I've found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens from, from Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. So here's the temptress. You know. Come with me. My husband's out of town. He's not coming back for a long time. We can enjoy the night together. We can be together. Turn away. And so when you're tempted by the opposite sex, turn away. See, depart from evil and do good. And so, like... Joseph did turn away. David didn't turn away. And he suffered the consequences for it. Turn away. If married, 
and you're tempted by someone, turn away. If unmarried, turn away from the compromising situation. If you're being pressured, turn away. Depart from evil and do good. When tempted to drink is another scenario that's described for us in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 23 uh, says, uh, beginning in verse 29, Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long over wine and those who go, go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last it bites like, like a serpent. Look, look, if, if you're tempted to use alcohol or other drugs that affect our judgment and intoxicate us, to turn, turn away, turn away. At the end, it's going to bite you like a snake. Maybe there are other scenarios that you can think of where, where people get themselves in trouble. Maybe some scenarios where in the past you've made the mistake of not turning away. Just, just prepare for them and when they present themselves to us, depart from evil. But you know, it's not enough in the Bible just to depart from evil. But that's not enough, is it? Depart from evil and do good. And so we need to be doing good as well. I don't know that we... It's anybody need a technical definition of what it means to do good? <laughs> we don't need to take the Hebrew word and break it down and do good. We know, we know what that means, don't we? To do good. There's emphasis in the Bible, really all through the Bible, on doing good works. I think about that statement right at the end of the book of Titus. In China, Titus chapter 2, and then on into the last chapter of Titus, chapter 3, in verse 14. Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous of good deeds. We're purified to do good deeds. Chapter 3, verse 1, remember them to be, uh, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to every good deed. Be, be ready. So you remind the Christians that you're teaching, be, be ready, be prepared for every good deed, every opportunity to do something good. And then chapter 3 and verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things. I want, you to, I want us to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. This is emphasis on doing good, doing good deeds. We see it really all the way through Scripture. Our, you know, our uh, commission, so to speak, is to uh, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Galatians 6 and verse 10 Jesus emphasized it as well. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. The golden rule is not avoid doing to others what you do not want them to do to you. That, that's not the, the golden rule, is it? Avoid doing to others what you don't want them to do to you. That's, that's not good enough. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And so you see, we're taking positive action due to others. There are opportunities all around us to do good. Many in this very congregation, many opportunities right here, <laughs> right here among us to do good. 
doesn't require us to form a charitable organization or to organize some worldwide humanitarian effort. Now, that'd be great if we could do that. That'd be wonderful. Not anything wrong with participating in those things. We're mindful of the earthquake victims over in uh, Turkey and Syria. And so if we want to be involved in that kind of good work, hey, hey, that's great. But a cup of cold water given in His name accomplishes a great deal. Mark 10, verse 42, Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. We're going to do something, right? We're going to do something. (laughs) We're going to do something with our mind. We're going to do something with our hands and our feet. We're going to do something with our time. We're going to do something with our inner... We're going to do something... Now then the question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to do good or evil? Going to be an evildoer or someone who does good? So let's resolve to do good. See, that's the good life, isn't it? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. <clears throat> that's a good life. And then the last thing he says is seek peace and pursue it. Well, it just... I just thought, is there, is, there any, is, is there anything needed more in our situation than this? Seek peace and pursue it. Seems that strife, conflict, contention, wrangling, quarreling are, are everywhere. And some people love it. You know, there are some people, they're not happy unless they're in an argument with somebody. Sure makes for good television ratings, apparently. But it's not to be this way among God's people. God's people are called upon here to seek peace and pursue it. The two words together suggest some intensity of effort. Seek it and pursue it. Both of those together. Seek it and pursue it. We know what a pursuit involves. If the police are pursuing someone, they're not sitting back at the station drinking a cup of coffee and eating a donut. Sorry, Mark. (laughs) Pursuing it. If they're they're going through someone's house and they're seeking something, well, you know, they're leaving no stone unturned. You got to put forth an effort. You got to be diligent about it. There's some intensity involved. Seek peace and pursue it. And so God's people are to dwell together in unity. The 133rd Psalm, verse 1 says In early churches, there was great potential for division. Think about that. Early churches, great, division, great potential for division. Jew and Gentile worshiping together in one congregation. Rich and poor worshiping together in one congregation. Those who are spiritually gifted with those who are not gifted. Worshiping together in the same congregation, 1 Corinthians 14. There were slaves and free worshiping together in the same congregation. Just think of all the potential for strife and argument and contention. No wonder, then, that we find numerous exhortations to unity in the New Testament. Romans 15 is a case in point. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be of the same mind. 
with one accord, one voice. So whatever potential there was for trouble, you got to overcome that and blend together in one body and speak together. Reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Ephesians 4 verse 3 tells us to give diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In Romans 14 verse 9, pursue things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Wow, what a great, just a succinct statement. Pursue things that make for peace and the building up of one another. The foundation of peace among us is the nature of God Himself. God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. Referred to and described as the God of peace in Romans 15, 33, Romans 16, verse 20, Philippians 4, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, Hebrews 13, verse 20. God is described as the God of peace. No wonder Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So among our brethren, we ought to seek peace and pursue it. But did you remember that Romans 12 and verse 38 says, As much as in you life, be at peace with all men. And so, yeah, maybe we especially should seek peace and pursue it uh, in the body of Christ. But this passage says, be at peace with, with all men. I wonder, is there somebody that you work with and you, I just can't get along with the guy. <laughs> He's irritating. He gets on my nerves. He's frustrating. He doesn't do this. He does that. I, I just can't be at peace with that. As much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. You know, there's this guy at school. I, 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 for some reason, I just can't get along with him. I just don't like the guy or the girl. Well, this passage says, as much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. And there's that guy that lives two doors down. Hey, what a nuisance he is. You know, he's, he's, he, he, he's, got, he's got his big speakers on his deck on Saturday night blaring his music through the whole neighborhood, which happened in our neighborhood for a while one time, you know. I, I can't get along with the guy. This says, as much as in you life, be at peace with all men. In other words, you make sure you're not the problem. Do everything in your power to be at peace with them. It doesn't say that it's always going to be achieved or it's always going to be accomplished, but make sure that you're not the problem. As much as in you lieth, be at peace with all men. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us what the attitudes necessary are. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 tell us to avoid selfishness and look out for the interests of others. One other observation about this is, you know, peace is not merely the absence of conflict. Well, sometimes we think about it in those terms. Um, you know, we, we're not fighting each other, so we must be at peace. It's not really Bible peace. Bible peace is... is creating a situation or developing a situation in which people thrive. They, they, they are, they're, they're doing well, they're growing, they're prospering, they're advancing. Now that's peace. It's not just the absence of trouble. 
It's not just the absence of arguing, but it's a situation in which we are growing and developing and thriving. There may be a lot of churches that are at peace because they're dead. <laughs> you know? that's, not, that's not what we want. We want an environment where we can teach and grow and develop and encourage, and every one of us can thrive, spiritually speaking. Now, that, that's peace. And so sometimes we have to deal with the problems that exist in order to create that kind of environment. So peace is not just, I'm not going to address that problem. Sometimes you deal with the problem. And then true biblical peace can exist, and we can thrive spiritually. Now that's living a good life, isn't it? You're at peace. Seek peace and pursue it. You're thriving, you're growing, you're developing, and the people around you are doing the same thing. Now that, that's a good life. And so who wants to live the good life? All of us. We all do. But you, you know what? God also wants us to live a good life. But I'm not saying that God wants you to be happy, and so anything goes. <laughs> don't, go, don't be confused about that. But God wants us to live a good life. Uh, and if we live a life in harmony with Him, our lives will be good. In this particular passage, He says, Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're, we bow before you as our creator and our sustainer. Father, you know us through and through. You know our lives in every detail. You know our nature. You know our character. You know what we need. Father, we are thankful that you want for us what's best. You want for us a good life. And we recognize, Father, that if we live our life in harmony with your will, we will indeed live a good life. Good life doesn't come necessarily with wealth or pleasure or, or human relationships. Good life comes from living in harmony with you. We're thankful, Father, that you've revealed to us in your word how to do that. We're thankful for the passage that we've looked at this morning. And so, Father, help us to govern our talk, to bring it into control so that we don't bring unnecessary hardship on ourselves. Help us to use this wonderful gift that you've given us to speak for good and not ill. Father, help us to turn away from evil as it presents itself. Give us the, the will, the determination to turn away. Help us, Father, to take advantage of every opportunity to do good. Help us, Father, to be those who seek peace, those who pursue peace, those who bring about peace in their own relationships, whether that's in the church, among our brethren, or even with outsiders as well. Father, we recognize that you are of God of peace. And so we, as your children, want to pursue that as well. Help us, Father, to continue to grow and to develop and mature in your will and in your word. And help us, Father, to see our lives as a good thing. This is a good life. And as good as this life is, Father, we know that there's a better one that awaits us after this life is over. And help us to use our time here to prepare for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.